opening up episode 410 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Spookarama. It is from the album Monster Beach Surf Party from Jared K. Wood. He's a musician based here in Oregon, just like me. I'm Derek M. Cook, your writer, producer, and host of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Welcome to the show, and big thanks to Jared K. Wood for letting us play his song on this podcast. We're going to play it in its entirety at the end of the show. How's everybody doing? Are you ready for some monster talk? Because I've got it here this week. I'm super stoked because I get to add another horror host to my collection of horror hosts who've been on Monster Kid Radio. This time around, we're going to be talking with California's Lord Bloodraw. Lord Bloodraw is somebody that I've been aware of for years. I first heard him on a podcast that's no longer up and running, and I've just been kind of following him ever since. We're friends on Facebook, and really, we wanted to have him on the show for quite some time, but things just kept getting in the way and and life happened and well now it is happening we've got him on the show and he's bringing some boys with him the bowery boys because the bowery boys meet the monsters is the movie on deck this week we're going to break this movie down of course there's going to be some spoilers but really it's a fun-filled ride and i can't wait to share that conversation with you and we'll just let you listen to one of the best laughs in the horror host game so that's going to be fun also we've got kenny's famous monsters of Filmland segment so that's coming and the return of jeff's weird wednesday report as you recall jeff was under the weather just like a lot of us not too long ago and the last word wednesday report came in as an email that somebody else christopher armim read for us well jeff is back he called our voicemail line and didn't just give us one but two weird wednesday reports to play here on the show so we're going to play those back to back then get into the conversation about the bowery boys meet the monsters hear from kenny and then run us back to we've got some feedback to go over here on the show i'm stoked I want to get to it right after this. Uh, doctor, that monkey's head, is it alive? Oh yes, of course. All you would need for me would be a brain, a human brain. Well, it's hardly that simple. Uh, buy one, steal one. I'll do anything. When the brain is healthy, it will never die. For even severed from its body, it continues to live, to scheme, to plot. Look! What just happened? For Carl Broussard, this means fantastic power. Now, once again, he can rule everyone and everybody, make them slaves to his venomous will. For inhuman strength, incredible might, unnatural powers, the man without a body will make your blood run cold. For it is without a doubt, without an equal, in thrills, excitement, and unbearable suspense. From award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan, White Zombie, a new novel based on the classic motion picture. What do you see? Neil asked. Madeline peered into the wine glass, pretending to be a fortune teller, and for a moment her head reeled. She did see something within the depths of the cup. Terrible dark eyes staring up at her, boring into her mind. 
the eyes of that awful man they'd encountered in the road. You see? She felt dizzy now, really dizzy, and her throat was tight, as if cold hands were closing around her neck. What is it? Neil asked, concerned. The eyes burned into her. She couldn't breathe. I see, she managed to gasp. Death. Available now in print and all ebook formats. Find it on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive Through Fiction, and other quality outlets. Also available in a special edition, including the complete movie script. Grab White Zombie before it grabs you. Details at sdsullivan.com. Voyages to the outer universe are reality. Satellite space stations in operation for landing and refueling. Apparently we have some deadly neighbors in outer space. Captain, it's heading toward us. the story of the fantastic adventure that befalls mankind's most daring crew of space explorers. Not a sound. Not even the hum of an insect. Is this a dead planet? Landing on an unknown planet, they are captured by long-limbed beauties. When they say, take me to your leader, and they take them to a creature like this, you know they're on planet Venus. And the queen of outer space is Jaja Gabor. The most talked about woman in the world knows what she wants on Venus, too. Then we're the only men on the whole planet? Yes. Wow. You'll see the revolt that brings the planet under the domination of strangely masked females who hate and fear the male animal. Let me kill her now. You're not only a queen, you're a woman, too. Let me see your face. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. <laughs> the war of the sexes, when voluptuous Venusians give battle to spacemen from Earth. The destructive might of incredible space rays that stop man from returning to Earth. Prepare for maximum acceleration. Derek and the Monster Kids, this is Jeff Pallier calling in with a weird Wednesday report from the Joy Cinema. The movie on 28 February was El Verón del Terror, known in America as The Brainiac. The basic premise of The Brainiac feels like a common one. Somebody in a distantly past time is killed by Zelots, swears vengeance on their descendants, and returns in modern time to kill people who had nothing to do with the original crime. In this case, the aggrieved party is Baron Vitellius Despera, and he's being burned alive in 1661. He names the hooded figures of the Inquisition present and swears to kill their bloodline in 300 years. His only defender in 1661 was his friend Marcos, who was tortured just for being a character witness in the Baron's favor. True to his word, Despera returns in 1961. Conveniently, each Inquisitor seems to only have one descendant, and they all live in the same city. 
In this modern era, Deastera uses the same name, but poses as someone visiting from another country. He uses his title to lure his intended victims in close. Along the way, he also kills seemingly unrelated people. Oh, and did I mention he shapeshifts into a vampiric creature? While it isn't outright stated, it's not unreasonable to presume that Deastera is an alien who assumes human form. The very name Deastera means of stars. There's a comet passing at his death that also heralds his return. When the movie began, I found him sympathetic. It's quite likely the charges of the Inquisition were trumped up. Please pardon the phrasing. In 1961, however, he is a ruthless killer savagely murdering people who had done nothing wrong to him. This isn't a great movie. Like I said, the Baron quickly goes from sympathetic to despicable. I could also have done without the buffoon that's the assistant to the chief of police. I'll call again soon with another weird Wednesday report. In the meantime, be good, have fun, and watch movies. Hi, Derek and the Monster Kids. This is Jeff Pullier calling in with a Weird Wednesday report from the Joy Cinema. The movie on 6th March was the 1932 genuine classic, White Zombie, starring Bela Lugosi and his intense stare. In Haiti, Madeline has arrived to marry her love, Neil. On the ship to Haiti, she met Charles Beaumont, a plantation owner who fell in love with her. Beaumont offers Neil a job and to make all arrangements for the wedding. These are just excuses to be near and try and win over Madeline. Wanting her no matter the cost, he goes to Lugosi's character, Legendre, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, a man feared and despised in Haiti for his voodoo powers, including the ability to raise the dead as subservient zombies. Legendre provides Beaumont with a powder that will kill Madeline and make her ready for resurrection if he so chooses. On the evening of the wedding, Madeline does refuse Beaumont, and he goes through with the poison. She lives through the ceremony and dies at dinner. Time passes and Neil is a shattered man. Legendre raises Madeline, now a soulless zombie, that wants to keep her for himself, poisoning Beaumont with the same powder. Neil and a priest find Madeline, Legendre, and Legendre's other zombies. The zombies, unthinking, are tricked into walking off of a parapet. Beaumont, as a final action, aids in saving Neil and Madeline, and Legendre also falls to his death. With the Voodoo Master dead, Madeline's soul returns to her. Far from what we think of as zombies today, the creatures in this movie are pitiable. They're the victims of murder, their animated corpses being forced to serve an evil man. This is a truly good movie, and one that every monster kid should see sometime. This was at least my second time watching it, and I'd gladly see it again. I'll call again soon with another Weird Wednesday report. In the meantime, be good, have fun, and watch movies. Trapped. 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 <laughs> They're trapped. In a whirlpool of shrieking fear. From the most fiendish idea ever conceived by the human brain. The Brainiac! And it has a friend. She was beautiful. 
desirable and not altogether human. The curse of the crying women. Together they will trap you in a world of horror. But if you live through it, <laughs> you will never forget. The Brainiac and the Curse of the Crying Women. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? <laughs> People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. <laughs> oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something from archive.org and review and discuss it. <laughs> that sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to orphan-entertainment.jonja.net and remind yourself a little more about the show. <laughs> Will do. So let's see. That's orphan-entertainment.jonja.net. Hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie sometime? Mm-hmm. We'll see, Christopher. We'll see. From Haiti. Land of the Voodoo comes the most infamous cult of all. Bela Lugosi as Murder Legendre. I see death. Master of the Undead Damned. The sinister power behind the white zombie. Zombies. Yes, they are my servants. This soul killer takes men from their graves to be his slaves. His instruments of terror, and now this fiend plots to possess a woman. Keep it, monsieur. Keep it. You may change your mind. Not dead. Are you mad? I saw her die. The doctor signed a certificate. I saw them bury her. Captive in the borderland between life and death. Her brain drained of the life spark. The white zombie obeys the unholy commands of her demon master. As mindless creatures carry out his cursed will, terror explodes in horror and heartquake. Zombie! Halabi! Never eyes so evil, never powers so potent, never magic so black, 
Bela Dracula Lugosi as the master of the white zombie. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. I love talking to horror hosts, and this time I am contacting a horror host from my humble abode here at Gravesend Manor. <laughs> We are talking with the horror host, Lord Blood Raw. How you doing, man? Uh, my lords and ladies, I am thrilled to be uh, here on Monster Kid Radio. It's been a dream of mine ever since I heard the first episode of this great podcast, and I'm, I'm just honored to be here. How you doing, Derek? I'm doing great. And listeners, this is just a real treat. I've been told by, and now more than one listener has told me this, that Lord Bloodraw has got one of the best laughs in the horror host uh, industry. <laughs> <laughs> so this is awesome. Now, you're based out of California? Yes, yes, the East Bay of California, San Francisco Bay Area. Where can people watch you? Are you on TV, on the internet? Yeah, I'm on uh, broadcast TV in the Peoria, Illinois area, Saturday nights at 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. and in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Saturday nights at 10 p.m. In Peoria, I'm on My59. And in Fort Wayne, I'm on My TV Fort Wayne. The best thing to do, because I'm on a variety of Roku and streaming channels and broadcast TV, the best thing to do is to go to lordbloodraw.com and go to the TV schedules. And you can find all the different places you can catch the show. I was going to ask you if you were on any of the Roku. Yeah, the Monster Channel, the Vortex. There's a, there's a few of them I'm on there. And... Uh, there's one called uh, ZPTV. It's not all horror hosts, but I run episodes there that are on demand anytime. Oh, okay. And then the other ones I'm on kind of a rotating schedule, the Vortex and a lot of the other ones. Thank God for streaming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is. It is the way horror hosts can reach the most fans possible. It's great. Listeners, if you don't have a Roku device, they're not that expensive. You are missing out. There's so much free content out there. Oh, yeah. So good. So good. I, I, I've been living without my Roku for the past three or four months because we had to rearrange our, our bedroom. I can't wait to hook it back up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, another great channel is OSI 74 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. run by uh, Mr. Lobo. That's a great, not only horror hosts, but all kinds of weird and wonderful uh, programming goes on there. It's great stuff. Exactly. And I think they also stream online as well. It's just great that I think so. we have the technology now that we can watch horror hosts from all over. Although, why are you on broadcast TV in the middle of the country, but you're based out of California? How, how did that work out? That is a wonderful question. So I started the show, uh, it was about seven years ago, I started the TV show. I've been horror hosting for 10 years. I started doing 
live shows and then got the opportunity to do the TV show some years later. So I started doing the TV show on local public access here in California. And even before I was doing horror hosting, I was uh, contributing to a podcast called Drunken Zombie, mm-hmm. which is was a great old late lamented uh, horror podcast in Peoria, Illinois. And uh, one of the guys who uh, was part of the Drunken Zombie crew Brian Wolford works for My59 in Peoria. And their horror host, who at the time I believe they were running Wolfman Max Chiller Theater, and he retired. He got out of horror hosting for a while. He's back in now. He's got a new show. Mm -hmm. But at the time, he had stopped. And Brian uh, wrote me and said, hey, you know, our horror host show is uh, gone. Send us an episode and we'll, we'll evaluate it. And I said, okay, yeah, sure. I'll, yeah, I'll send it. And I sent it to him. And I'm thinking, no, there's there's no chance. And two hours later, he sent me back, uh, yeah, you're on Saturday nights at midnight. <laughs> Whoa, okay. I guess I got to get serious about this now. <laughs> you know? Wow, I'm on broadcast TV now. So from there, I got um, the uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana station on the strength of how I did in uh, Peoria. And I'm looking for more broadcast stations, but... Uh, I've been expanding primarily in streaming streaming outlets now. Uh, the Drunken Zombie podcast is where I first heard you. Uh, I used to okay. listen to that as well, and, and uh, it, it's been gone now for a few years. I don't know if the episodes are still available anywhere online, but you were also involved in their Drunken Zombie Film Festival, I believe, weren't you? Oh, yeah. I think I, I hosted that for, I want to say, six or seven years straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was always so fun. I looked forward to that every year just because you you never knew what you were going to see, except you knew what you were going to see was going to be new and fresh and independent and generally a lot better than a lot of the horror that was coming out of Hollywood. You know, a lot more imaginative and uh, breaking a lot more ground than uh, the stuff that com- comes out of Hollywood. There are still murmurings that might happen again, and uh, I hope it does. If it does, I'm there. I'll gladly host it again. I love doing it. Oh, wow. So do you still do live events as well? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, the way I started, the way I became Lord Bloodraw was um, we have uh, some very dear friends who own the Chenard Winery in Castro Valley. And I uh, introduced my friend Damien, the winemaker, to Plan 9 from Outer Space. And for some reason, that movie just lit a fire in him. He loved it. And he didn't know films like that existed. He fell in love with it. And he said, well, we should show this at the winery. And I said, yeah, but you got to do a show around it, man. You got to have a host, you know, and stuff like that. So I found somebody to host. And there was some kind of miscommunications between him and the host. It didn't quite work out the way he wanted. But the show came off and the show was a success. So the next day, he's over at my place with uh, me and my wife, Chris, and we're sitting there having a glass of wine. And he said, I want to do the shows. I want to do the shows on a yearly basis. Do you know any other hosts who could do it? And I said, no, you know, I, I really don't. And my wife turned to me and said, why don't you do it? <laughs> and I had no answer. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there was, there was a clap of fun, thunder and uh, a wolf howled and Lord Blood Raw was born. That was 10 years ago. I've been doing shows at the Chenard Winery ever since, along with uh, Sci-Fi Days at the Ream Theater and uh, live events at various other locations, plus doing uh, yearly shows out in Peoria and Fort Wayne now. Oh, okay. So you still go out there to do stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll fly out there and do live shows. Yeah. 
That's amazing. It's really fun. I love sharing these films that I love with people that love them. It's just wonderful. It's, it's great. Well, you know, I watch uh, horror movies for a profession now. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dream job. I, I'm going to, you know, man, can you give me a gig like that? That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. well, notice I said for a profession, not a living. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. <laughs> Big difference. Big difference. Did you have a horror host growing up? Yes. I grew up watching Bob Wilkins of Creature Features. Oh, there you go. Here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, Bob Wilkins and then later... Uh, when he retired, John Stanley took over. I met Bob a couple of times at conventions. Oh, wow. uh, great guy, wonderful guy. And I know John Stanley to this day, John Stanley and I are, are friends. We appeared together at conventions and things and have worked together on stage and at conventions. He's he's just a great guy. Oh, right on. Oh, yes. Yeah, sweet, sweet, sweet man, John Stanley. And also in the Bay Area, we had the ghoul was syndicated out here for a while. So we caught him on Saturday afternoons as well. And he was he was really fun. He was very enjoyable. Energetic, crazy <laughs> energy to his show that was that was fantastic. Very cool. Well like I said, I'm gonna make sure there's a link in the show notes to your website. I want people to know about you and what you're doing. And again, listeners, get that Roku so you can find him on at least two or three of these shows that are channels that stream these shows because it's just good stuff it's fun stuff so we are going to talk about a movie here on the show however there is something we do with every person that comes on the show these days (laughs) for new listeners who don't know uh, or haven't been paying attention we do have a game here called the classic five i've got a deck of cards here uh, and each one of these cards has a this or that what movie do you like better style question there are no wrong answers i know i just called it a game but really it's a conversation starter Lord Bloodrock, are you ready to play? You know, I've been wanting to do this ever since you started doing it. And now that I'm doing it, I'm sure all of my monster knowledge is going to fly right out the window. But <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Card number one. What two classic science fiction movies would make the perfect double feature? Oh, I actually hosted it. It was uh, The Deadly Mantis and Them. Ooh. Yeah. And we, we did a giant bug night. <laughs> a local theater just well. the giant madness and them it was uh it was a match made in heaven it was it was a really fun uh, really fun show a friend of mine made uh, a giant uh, mechanical ant too that attacked the audience that was a good, uh, oh. that was a good time. <laughs> very cool very cool so no tarantula in there huh just go mantis and them mantis and them yeah yeah they seem to fit together better thematically the way it felt because tarantula is more of a Always look at that as more of a, not hard sci-fi, but, well, it's a giant bug movie, yes. Mm-hmm. But it's a more sci-fi in its approach to the monster. The monster is, is made, as opposed to just radiation did it. Oh, okay. You know, it's like that. It's radiation. You know, you got a giant bug, it's got to be radiation. You know? Okay. Well, card number two. Who do you prefer, Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing? Oh. One of the hardest cards in the deck. <laughs> oh. I'm going to go Peter Cushing. I'm going to go Peter Cushing. Yeah. There was a charm to everything he did, even when he was being uh, the most evil of, of Dr. Frankenstein's, you know, <laughs> there was just this over you. you, you even, even though he was being incredibly evil on screen, you wanted to know this guy. You know what I mean? He had that kind of like similar to Vincent Price. He had that twinkle in his eye at all times. And I uh, really, really love Peter Cushing. I'm on Team Cushing here, but I think listeners know that by now. So, 
<laughs> Another reason why we can be friends. Gotta love Christopher Lee, of course. Oh, yeah. You know. No disrespect. No disrespect at all. No. All right. Card number three. Fritz or Igor? Oh. Oh. I got to go Igor. Fritz was funnier. <laughs> Fritz was a lot funnier. You know, in... In Frankenstein, there's that scene where he's got to run down the stairs and answer the door. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's, a, he's a hot mess on wheels. He's, he's, he's Fritz, a little hunchback guy. Coming back up the stairs, he stops for a moment and just pulls up his sock. <laughs> and goes right out again. Love that moment. I love that, just that quick moment of grooming by this little <laughs> <laughs> deformed little guy. But, you know, the, uh, uh, Igor is probably my some days second, most days third favorite Lugosi performance he does an amazing job as igor well i agree again another reason why we're friends but even though there are no wrong answers i wouldn't have held it against you if you said friends all right okay. <laughs> card, <laughs> card number four uh which movie do you prefer i was a teenage werewolf or i was a teenage frankenstein i was a teenage werewolf yeah yeah i was a Teenage Werewolf, the most terrifying picture of our time. I was a teenage werewolf. Fantastic, bewildering. A motion picture to stand beside the greatest horror stories of all time. I was a teenage werewolf. It's a lot more interesting and unique. It's a more unique take on... Uh, the werewolf thing. He's not bitten by a werewolf. The inner, like, kind of raging um, hormonal teenage beast within him is released by hypnosis, and he becomes a werewolf that way. I always like that approach to it. It's it's a good it's a good movie about teenage angst for the 1950s. Whereas you know, I was a teenage Frankenstein is fun, but it's dead teenagers reassembled into the Frankenstein monster. It's okay. It's okay, but I think Teenage Werewolf is much better. I go back and forth depending on what day of the week it is. So there you go. Yeah, there's that. Okay. There's that. All of these are dependent on mood, right? True. <laughs> True. Usually, usually. All right. Final card. If you could have been on set during the production of a classic Universal monster movie, which one would it have been? Oh, I got to say, Bride of Frankenstein. To stand in those sets. Yeah, to stand and watch that, you know, to see that see that laboratory scene when you first see the bride with uh, Pretorius on one side and Frankenstein on the other in that gown and uh, the monster coming down those stairs behind her. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely Bride of Frankenstein. Good pick, good pick. Thank you, Thank you sir. Well, that is the classic five. How do you feel, man? I made it! Yes. I made it! I remembered the titles of movies and I remembered everything. I was... I was so happy. I was so happy I didn't. What? Who are you again? What are we talking about here? Um, I don't know. This, who are, yeah, wrong number. Wrong number. Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, that was a lot of fun. I love playing the Classic Five, especially with people that I haven't played it with before. I mean, I feel like I kind of knew where you would go with some of these because, like I said, I've heard you on other podcasts and I watch your show when I can. But, you know, it's always fun to get new perspectives like them and Deadly Mantis. I wouldn't have put those two together, but when you said that it makes sense yeah they're two kind of classic the classic giant bug films that have a slightly schlocky well you know and you know what it is too they, they've got some slight schlock to them but they've also got the classic scientific explanations mm-hmm. with them it's uh, seeing the uh 
the little uh, like uh, schoolroom film of the ants fighting all the time, and then with uh, the deadly mantis is explaining what a deadly mantis is. <laughs> and they're always whatever whatever insect is made giant, it is always the most deadly killer in the world. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the mantis, the spider, the ant, the the shrew. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm partial to the giant leeches myself, but you know, the giant leeches. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a fun one. I posted that too. There are no giant bugs in the movie that we're talking about, though. There's everything else. Yeah, we've got what? So we've got somebody who says she's a vampire, although we don't really see her do any real right. vampire things. It looks right. like there are two mad scientist types. That's, that's right. That's right. We've got a gorilla. We've got a robot. We've got a man-eating plant. We've got a Jekyll and Hyde potion that uh, turns a couple of people into monsters. This movie has it all. It is all of the old dark house, haunted house tropes thrown against the wall. And we're talking about the 1954's The Bowery Boys Meet the Monsters. those hysterical, hilarious horrors when you join those Bowery boys as overnight guests in a mansion of merry maniacs. We just want your heads. Well, oh, well, if you said that in the foot. Our heads! Huh? Uncle Anton, the scientific stoop. Oh, oh, oh. Would you like a high cut or a low cut, sir? Oh, I'd like a low cut. Uncle Derek, the medical madman. What is it you're trying to say? Help! Uh, yeah. Cousin Francine, the fluff with the stuff. I mean business. Aunt Amelia, who's no camellia. The butler Grisson, he's gruesome. The family tree, a man-eating honeysuckle. Boy, oh boy, I feel just like a space cadet. This will register his brain potential. <laughs> My friend here has a vacuum-packed head. The Bowery Boys get the heebies, the jeebies, the willies, and the shakes while you get the laughs of the year. Gentlemen, I have a suggestion. 50 50. No, no, no. Routine six, Satch. What a mishmash of monsters here, but I loved it. It's a fun romp. Uh, if listeners aren't familiar with the Bowery Boys movies, uh, how would you describe what they do? They're very similar to, and this was on purpose, very similar to Abbott and Costello films in that there's basically one a main comedy team, Leo Gorsi and Hunts Hall, uh, Slip and Satch. But they're surrounded by this kind of coterie of friends. They're just kind of every every man characters. They're guys hanging out at the malt shop. In, uh, in the 1940s and into the 50s. And uh, they just go off on various wild adventures. We had talked about this a little earlier. Mm -hmm. The Bowery Boys from 1946 was when the Bowery Boys proper started to 1958. In 12 years, they made 48 Bowery Boys movies. That is insane. It's ridiculous, isn't it? 48, and they, uh, of course, so four films a year, these were turned out, you know, assembly line style extremely quickly. Mm -hmm. That's an impossible thing to think about, is, uh, you know, 48 films over 12 years. And some of them uh, were um, 
monster related. They did one called Spook Busters, Spook Chasers, which I think were very similar films. <laughs> Masterminds is probably one of the more unusual ones. Satch, who is the uh, Hunts Hall character, kind of goofy, goofy, lanky, more clownish character to Leo Gorsi's more straight man, uh, develops a toothache and can read minds when he's in this kind of trance because he has a toothache. Of, of course. Yeah. I mean, sure. <laughs> and a mad scientist hears about this and, of course, wants his brain to put into his monster, which was played by Glenn Strange. Oh, okay. In that movie. Yeah. It's kind of a fun film. It's a fun film. But, you know, again, none of these other monster-related uh, Bowery Boys films had nearly the pound-per-pound the amount of monsters <laughs> and creatures <laughs> as the Bowery Boys meet the monsters. They did bump into Bela Lugosi at one point. I do know, um, I can't, uh, was it Spooks Run Wild? Well, yeah, but... But that wasn't technically, they, they, yeah. They, they were the dead-end kids. Yeah. Yeah, they, they did two films with Lugosi. They did... Um, Spooks Run Wild and Ghosts on the Loose. Mm -hmm. The Bowery Boys originally started in 35 as the Dead End Kids. And it was from this movie called uh, Dead End with uh, Humphrey Bogart. And for some reason, these kids, and then they were like streetwise punks who were always getting into, you know, street fights and everything. These kids stole the movie. And from Humphrey Bogart, that's quite a feat. So the studio decided to make a whole slew of um, Dead End Kids movies. Then later, they uh, left that studio. I think they demanded more money. was picked up by Monogram Studios, and they became the East Side Kids. Okay. So it was actually the East Side Kids were the ones that met Bela Lugosi. Okay. That's uh, Spooks Run Wild and Ghosts on the Loose were Bela Lugosi films. Okay. The Dead End, I'm sorry, the Bowery Boys was another studio then? The Bowery Boys was, yeah, was Allied Artists. Okay. Again, Leo Gorsi, who played Slip, kind of ringleader of the group, wanted more money and monogram said we're monogram we don't have any more money so <laughs> <laughs> they left and all went to allied artists and became the bowery boys yeah so it was quite a yeah it's kind of long quite a long history of this essentially same group of people going through these these changes as they moved from studio to studio mm -hmm. and their characters changed again they were young punk uh, street Fighters when they were the Dead End Kids and, and the East Side Kids too, but then by the Bowery Boys they were well they were older so they couldn't you know they couldn't be it's you know scarier if they're still fighting in the streets at that age. So. <laughs> A completely different kind of movie. <laughs> that yes, point. that's right. That's right. Oh, here's one odd thing that I noticed. Okay, um, one of the Bowery Boys. Oddly enough, this actor does not appear in the Bowery Boys Meet the Monsters. Was Gabriel Dell? Okay. Now, Gabriel Dell has a really strong monster connection. Do you remember uh, the record album that was sold in the back of Famous Monsters of Filmland, Famous Monsters Speak? I do know the album, yeah. You know, that's Gabriel Dell. Oh, okay. He's doing Lugosi on the Dracula side and the Frankenstein monster on the other side. Huh. That's, that's his voice. He does a dead-on Lugosi, an amazing Lugosi. As a matter of fact, he used to do it on uh, the Steve Allen show. In the 60s, he would come on and do a more comedic Lugosi. But when he does it straight, man, when I was a kid, I thought that was Lugosi. Yeah. Well, when we get done recording here, I'm going to go try to dig it up and, and check it out. <laughs> I oh, want to yeah. hear it now. It's fun. Very cool. Huh. Yeah. 
you know, I was looking at the filmography of like the dead end kids and the East side and whatever, and all them. And it does look like more than once, not just with the monster movie, but more than once, if Abbott and Costello did something that was successful, there would be a kind of sort of knockoff or, or another version of it with the Bowery boys or the dead end kids, like jungle gents after Africa screams and things along those lines. It, it would they seem to be taking a lot of notes from Abbott and Costello, but they always had their own identity because, I mean, it's Hunts Hall. I mean, <laughs> he, oh, right. He's oh, not yeah. really Costello. He's not really Abbott. He's his own thing. You know, the back and forth with him and Gorsi. If I had to say one of them was a straight man, I'd say Gorsi was. But Gorsi mangled English like nothing. Mangled yes. English like crazy. <laughs> Especially in this film. Oh, yeah. I, I noticed that this film seemed to have a lot more of that kind of humor. It's sprinkled through like a lot of the other ones, but... Bowery Boys meet the monsters, and it's almost constant. When the movie opens, the boys are in Louie's sweet shop, where they always hang out. Mm-hmm. Baseball comes sailing in through the window, hits Louie on the head, of course, without seriously hurting him. That never happens in real life. And uh, <laughs> they're sitting there, and a cop brings in this young boy, and uh, Slip looks over and says, Herbie Wilkins in the recoils of the law. <laughs> And that's one of his lighter mutilations of the English language later on. It's Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Let me regurgitate when he's trying to reiterate something and, and then things along those lines. They're just. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> just, yeah. And yeah. I, I made, I don't know if it was a mistake or not, but I thought, you know what? Just for fun, I'm going to turn on the subtitles. Oh, boy. Oh, oh. <laughs> nice. And uh, yeah, I mean, whoever did the subtitling made a point of making sure that all the words he used were the ones that turned up in the subtitles. There was no corrections made. So I got to see the regurgitates and the, uh, that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head, but there were so many of them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I, I didn't think of putting on uh, subtitles. I should do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you mentioned the setup. It starts in Louis sweet shop and Louis was played by Gorsi's father, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Bernard Gorsi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, the only reason that Leo Gorsi quit some 48 movie or actually 47 movies later is because his father passed away and Leo just, he couldn't do it anymore. So they made one more movie with Hans Hall without Leo Gorsi in 1948. And it just didn't fly. And by then there were 48 films too. So you got to think it was running out of steam at some point. Yeah. At what point do you just say, you know what? (laughs) I've worn this hat long enough. (laughs) We never got uh, the Bowery Boys go to the moon, though. The Bowery Boys in space. We never oh, got man. That, that would have been fun. It would have been fun. We, ne- we never got that, though. I, don't, <laughs> I, I wonder what kind of... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Hunts Hall in an astronaut suit is kind of terrifying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. That's right. So you mentioned the baseball coming through, and uh, the plot of this story, this film, is not super deep. Oh, no. The reason no. the ball is going through the windows is because there's nowhere for the kids to play baseball. So they get this bright idea... There's this plot of land owned by the Gravesend family. Gravesend, that's right. We're yes. going to ask their permission to use this lot. And yes. Slip and Satch go out and fun ensues. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Louis says, why don't you call them on the phone? Oh, that's right. <laughs> see if they want to sell the land. And Slip, as only Slip could say, says, the Gravesends have never been indemnified with charitable projectiles. 
well, <laughs> exactly. You, you almost need a, a, a decoding manual to go through and uh, understand what he's talking about. Well, at first, as the movie continues, you finally start to kind of get in sync with him. And that's, and that's terrifying. But, you know, it is. <laughs> it is. You're right. And, and I love the name, the Gravesend family. A, a Gravesend. I love it. It's just it's brilliant. I don't I've never heard it before anywhere else. I think it's great. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Graves. Gravesend. They go. So they drive out to Gravesend Manor, and of course, in a thunderstorm, has to be a thunderstorm. Of course. And uh, they meet the mad scientist brothers Derek and Anton. Yeah, I tried not to take offense when I realized there was a Derek in the movie you suggested, but okay. You know. Yeah. Well, I, I, I actually, I'd totally forgotten until I watched the movie again recently. It's like, oh, there's a Derek. Oh, my God. I forgot that. <laughs> well, and, and speaking of that, Derek, he's played by John Daner, who has a crazy career. He started as an animator for Disney. I didn't know that. Yeah. Really? And then he moved into acting, which is just all over the place. When you think about somebody's Hollywood career, I would not make that jump. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. He's one of those, uh, hey, it's that guy actors. Yep. You know, you've seen him in everything. Seen him in absolutely everything. Movies, TV, everything. Yeah, and he's got a great look. He a great look. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Made a good mad scientist, as did the little guy. They, they had kind of an Abbott and Costello mad scientist thing going on. You know, they did. You know, yeah. And uh, the other one, Anton, that was uh, played by Lloyd Corrigan, who I don't really know much about. Although, if you look him up on the Internet Movie Database, the one picture they have is an unfortunate picture of one white guy and then four people in blackface around him. So I don't know. Oh. <laughs> you know, well, the, the, the times. I know. The I don't know the history there, but. Right, right. Yeah, it was the times. <laughs> uh, no, no blackface in this movie. So, yeah. Put that no, 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 no. Everything else, but no blackface. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Man, yeah. I got to talk yeah. about. The butler. That guy. Oh, man. Gruesome. 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 <laughs> it's gruesome, sir. No. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. Oh, he is wonderful. He's like a, a younger Lurch. He's great. I was getting definite Lurch vibes off this guy. Oh, yeah. Just oh, yeah. the way he's built, the tall, lanky, skinny, and the way he spoke. Very Lurch-like. I don't know if there was an in intentional inspiration there or not when it came time to do lurch but that was just great his name's paul wexler he was actually born here in portland oregon uh I, really yeah right. I, I don't know much more about him other than i really would like to see more with him because he was just phenomenal i know i've seen him in other things and I've, for, for some reason i want to say more television than film sure for some reason yeah he was he was great it was just kind of wonderful wonderful lanky straight butler that uh, is made a fool of often and <laughs> kind of really creepy in his own way too yeah, yeah yeah he does get creepier though because at one point they do feed him uh, a tonic yes <laughs> the, the jekyll yes. and hyde formula like you said what did you think of that mask oh i it, you know <laughs> it was it was 1954 halloween mask you know that it looks like they put the same mask on both of them because later Satch drinks it mm -hmm. and becomes a monster too. And it looks like they just put the same mask on both of them, a little makeup around the eyes and that's it. You know, it's standard kind of Halloween boogeyman, long hair, big teeth, kind of ape-like a little bit, you know, it's fun. Sure. It was fun. No great, you know, nothing that, uh, you know, Jack Pierce would have done, but yeah, I mean, it was no Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I mean, it was, no. <laughs> you know, no. it, it, it served its purpose and the way they do the transition, I thought, you know, they couldn't do a stop motion. They couldn't do a lap dissolve. Let's just wipe from, <laughs> he's wearing yeah. the mask, wipe the screen. No, he's not. So yes. Well, hey, you know, Derek, 48 movies in 12 years. They don't have time to slow dissolve. <laughs> <laughs> 
they don't have time. We're, we're lucky it wasn't a jump cut. <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> yeah, they, these, they got to turn these things out. They don't have time for a slow artistic process. Yeah. You know, despite that, though, I felt like the gorilla was great. And I know part of this because... Back then, the Gorilla Men had their own suits, and they would go from film to film to film. Uh, Cosmos, the Gorilla, played by Steve Calvert, who yes. was a Gorilla Man, and I, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, great, just kind of classic. This is probably the only podcast you can say this on, but great, classic Gorilla performance. <laughs> you know, I, really, just kind of good, solid Gorilla Man. Uh, you know, a quick look at his uh, filmography. It looks like he did at least 10 different films in a gorilla suit, which, you know, good for him, man. He's a gorilla man working. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you could, you could have a career doing that. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case anymore. You don't, you don't have as many gorillas in films anymore. And I miss that. You just don't. Back in the day, every mad scientist had a gorilla in a cage. They all did. You know what and this movie needed? A gorilla. That's what. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly it. <laughs> Get a gorilla in here. <laughs> we got a mad scientist. We got to have a gorilla. That's right. Uh, we have the gorilla, and then we also have a robot named Gorog. Gorog, yes. Uh, yeah. Interesting looking robot. Again, we're talking uh, about budget and all that, but you know, it, it served its purpose. I couldn't decide whether it was uh, flimsy sheet metal or cardboard covered in tinfoil. I'm not sure. <laughs> Pro probably the latter. Probably the latter, but you know, it's kind of a Saturday morning serial type of robot, mm -hmm. kind of a classic squared head, squared body, tall, uh, pipe duct arms and classic, classic look. Sure. Classic kids robot look. Yeah. I mean, when you see it, you're like, oh yeah, this is definitely of that era. It has a neat look, I think. And what I like about it is that they did go out of their way to make it look much taller, much bigger than a human. And I, I know you know, the headpiece and all that. There was no head in that headpiece. Uh, but they right. did build it up to where it was much bigger. And I, I did appreciate them trying to change the human form in that way a little bit. Oh, yeah. Probably didn't need to make it as tall as it did because he kept knocking his own head off. But, you know, <laughs> that was intentional. I'm sure. Well, that was, that, was, that was a plot point. I know. Remember, um, <laughs> Anton built the robot and was determined to make the robot work. But his brother, Derek disagreed and said, no, 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 that thing is never going to think for its own. It needs a human head on top of it. You need a human head on top of the robot to make the robot think, therefore it won't knock its own head off. Uh, go with it, it's mad science. But of course. <laughs> now Derek wanted to go a totally different direction and put a human brain into the gorilla, which he said was the largest anthropoid gorilla in captivity. Really? Oh, okay. Was it? I All right. Science. Yeah. <laughs> Science. I could swear I've seen bigger, but yeah, all right. Well, you know. He's <laughs> <laughs> just bragging. <laughs> My gorilla's bigger than yours. Just bragging. <laughs> just bragging about it. <laughs> so we have two creations that could use some human brains, and two humans have shown up at Gravesend Manor. You do the math, listeners. You know exactly. what's going to happen here. Although there are other monsters and other things here that have designs on the boys as well. So there's a little bit of, well, I want the plump one from my man-eating plant. Well, I'm a vampire yes. and I want this one, you know. <laughs> so they're kind of arguing about who's going to get who and Grissom is helping out. And he's, it's just kind of a fun romp. I, I've seen some knockoff Abbott and Costello type movies. This one's probably one of the best. 
I think so. I mean, again, it's no Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein no. by far, as far as quality or anything like that. But it's got some good laughs in it. It's uh, a total mishmash of all the kind of Halloween elements of the old Dark House films. This would be a great film to show at Halloween. This is a great Halloween film. I think so. I think so. Yeah, this is a wonderful kind of, especially for, for kids. This would be, for young people, be a great Halloween film. You know. Sure. By the way, let's not forget that the old lady... With man-eating plant, uh, Amelia was played by Ellen Corbett, mm -hmm. Grandma Walton herself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Grandma, Grandma Walton. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew she had a man-eating plant in the basement? Yeah, you know? <laughs> and she's just and she. Ellen Corby is delightful in this. She's just great. Oh, yeah, she's so sweet and just so so nice. She's just trying to feed her pet. I want the plump one. Yeah. <laughs> I want the blunt one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and she she seasons she seasons him with salt and puts a little garnish on him. <laughs> tries to take him to the plant. Sure. Yeah. Why not? What did you think of the man eating plant? Oh, it was it was pretty terrible. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, you know uh, a giant rubber. But they, you know, again, how much time did they have to put this thing together? Mm -hmm. But it's this kind of rubber trunk with I think it had four limbs for arms that kind of moved in a kind of limited way and this big kind of round rubbery mouth perfect for fitting these actors heads in and things like that <laughs> it worked i mean it, it worked along with this film you know sure. it, it, it was fine it was, it was fine it was no tabonga but it, no tabonga no i think no, it, it served its purpose you know and I, I think having it up against the wall the way that it did probably was uh, the better choice so you didn't have to see the backside of it. Oh, yeah. I had to. I'm sure that thing was puppeted on the other side of the wall. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. You know, this is a lower budget film, but they mm -hmm. don't hesitate to break a few things here and there. And from what I understand, that Bowery Boys were pretty rowdy anyway, especially when they were younger and would get kicked off sets and, and lots because they were causing trouble <laughs> and breaking things. But they bust through walls. They bust through doors. There's the windows breaking and they do some damage. They do, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, all all, is, all of it's breakaway. Well, sure. they almost, I don't know if you noticed, they almost knock down a wall when they're trying to break through a door. <laughs> and the door's not supposed to give, and you can see the entire wall just <laughs> wants to give way. <laughs> yeah, they almost break the uh, the entire door seal out and everything. <laughs> quite, a bit of, quite a bit of havoc in this film. And, you know, of course, everything that you would expect to happen in this movie given the elements happens you got a robot you got a gorilla of course they're going to fight sure right at some point the robot and the gorilla have to fight the boys have to be captured they've got to come very close to losing their heads quite literally <laughs> uh the, the uh, amelia's plant gets her hands on at least one the, the bowery boys mm -hmm. and almost eats them Satch has to drink the potion of course. to become a monster. Of course. You can't really spoil this movie because you know what's going to happen from the beginning because everything is just kind of laid out. Yeah, here's the joke set up yeah. 45 minutes earlier, and here's the joke. The movie's not very long. It packs a lot of just goofy, spooky fun into its small package. I'm sure part of it had to do with the director, who I don't really know a heck of a lot of about. I know he did some genre work. He did do some Bowery Boys films as well, but I also understand that he was almost accidentally nominated for an Oscar. Have you heard this story? I had heard that. I, I don't know much about him either. I know that he was instrumental in doing a lot of the sound effects for the Three Stooges. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he created this process or whatever, but he would throw the sound effects in whenever there was a slap or, 
you know, hit on the head, he would throw in the bell sound or whatever. That became such an integral part of the Three Stooges that he worked on a lot of the Three Stooges films. But I had to think about him getting an Oscar as a he didn't quite get the Oscar. What happened was, is he had a movie called High Society that came out the same year. Another movie called High Society starring Bing Crosby and Grace Kelly came out. The Academy wanted to nominate the screenplay for the Crosby Kelly High Society, but sent it to him instead by accident. <laughs> oh. Now he owned up to it and apparently it was all a big jokey jokey all in fun kind of thing and he was cool with it. But I think that's <laughs> he almost won or got nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad he had a good sense of humor about it. <laughs> I'm glad he was like, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it looks like he did, like I said, a few other pieces of genre work. He did World Without End, which is actually a really good movie as well. Uh, and Return of the Fly. Oh, I, I, he directed yes. that. I didn't know that. But like you said, he also did a lot of Three Stooges. He was kind of a journeyman director, it looks like. He did a couple of the Blondie movies. So he was kind of all over the place. It's back when you had the, those kind of directors, you know, that did a little bit of everything here and there. Like William Bodine. Yeah, right. Did 500 movies or something like that, whatever he did. For, yeah, just worked forever and did everything. And left us with two of the greatest horror westerns of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I posted Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. Uh -huh. I posted that one. I have not done uh, Billy the Kid versus Dracula yet. I don't know if that one's in the public domain, which seems weird. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I don't, I don't know. It's the same people and everything. They play it on a double feature. I can confirm, yeah, Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter, definitely public domain. Mm -hmm. Billy Kid versus Dracula, it looks like it's still under copyright. I don't know why. <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe why. somebody saw John Carradine's in it and snatched it up or something. I don't, you know, that's the only thing that I can think is that. Could be. I, I don't know, but I love them both, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the <laughs> To this day, the end of Billy the Kid versus Dracula. Just has me rolling on the floor. <laughs> uh, you know, not not to spoil anything, but everybody has seen it. Is sure. Uh, Billy the Kid has Dracula cornered in a cave. Dracula standing there. The woman of that Billy the Kid is after is laying there unconscious. I believe Billy the Kid pulls his gun, shoots Dracula. Of course, has no effect. Empties his gun into Dracula as Dracula starts approaching him. <laughs> The gun is empty. He throws the gun at Dracula, clocks him in the head, and knocks him over backwards, and then puts a stake in his heart. Sure. Ow! What? <laughs> <laughs> the bullet's no effect. The gun itself, that kills him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a comedic thing, too, just the the gun just bouncing off of his forehead. Sure. So, well, I'm sure William one shot Bodine didn't bother to go in and shoot it a second time. So just take what oh, he no. did. You know? <laughs> no, no, I'm sure he did. Well, it's like the old I'm Superman sure. TV show. You know, the bullets would bounce off his chest, but if somebody threw a gun at him, he'd duck. You know, right. like, why, why are you bothering dodging? You just. <laughs> yeah, just, just stand there. Yeah. Just, <laughs> it yep. can't hurt worse than the bullets. You're okay. <laughs> how, how did, okay. Um, back to the Bowery Boys. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> See, this happens, and you know, because you've been listening, this happens. We start talking about one thing, and we're all over the map, and it's wonderful. So This is a language we speak, so. <laughs> I am fluent in Monster Kid, yes. There you, there you go. go. 
That's right. <laughs> now, the uh, the vampire in the film, Francine, I, I don't know much about her, and she really didn't do a lot of the classic vampire things. I mean, she was kind of vamping around, sure, but she didn't have fangs. There was no turning into a bat or anything like that. She just said she was a vampire and looked kind of sexy while she was doing it. Uh, Laura Mason is the actress. I, again, I don't know much about her. Uh, do yeah. you have any familiarity with her? No. Unlike a lot of the actors in these films, she didn't look familiar to me at all. I don't I don't know uh, of any other thing that she's, that she's done or that she's been in. I was looking at her filmography, and, and I mean, she's got Queen of Outer Space in her credits somewhere, but I, oh. but I don't oh. know how big of a role that was or what. Right. But, you know? I'm, yeah. Yeah. She's listed as Venusian girl. So, hey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. They had one of those. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Monster wise, she was kind of the weak link of the film because she never does anything vampirish. Right. You know, I mean, she, at one point, she kind of caresses Satch's throat like, like she wants to take a bite, but she never does. You never see fangs. Mm -hmm. uh, she never turns into a bat or any, or see her in a coffin or anything like that. She's just this like attractive slinky woman that supposedly wants either one or both of them for their blood. And it's, it's only mentioned. They say she's a vampire once and that's it. Right. Yeah. You know, Amelia says that to which Derek says, never use the B word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never use that word again. It was a nice time. I think, okay, I could see that. that, that I, I think, sure. That makes sense. You know, this movie does make its own kind of internal logic, logical sense. I can't believe I'm saying that about this film, but it does have its own <laughs> internal sense of logic. And once you right. get started with listeners, if you haven't seen this, the other Bowery Boys movies are great too, but this one's got all the monsters. So this is your in. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I describe this as a Sunday afternoon movie. I think you did when we were chatting about it the other day on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. I mean, out out here we got uh, the Bowery Boys movies uh, late morning, early afternoon on the weekends. Yeah, that's when they they would play a lot of them. I'm sure that's when I first saw this movie, and it always, always kind of stuck with me. It's one of those, you know, you don't have to invest too much in it. Just sit back and watch the monsters play and laugh at it and <laughs> laugh at laugh at uh slip mangling the language and satch being hit with slip's hat you know <laughs> he sits down in an electric chair on purpose he what does he call it like it's a space helmet i've always wanted to try one of those oh, or something. oh yeah then he starts playing space cadet right <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Electric chair in the mad scientist lab, dissecting table, the brain o graph or whatever it was to measure the brain power of, of slip and satch. <laughs> yeah, just every, again, every mad scientist, an old dark house kind of convention just kind of slopped together with uh, the Bowery Boys laid on top of it. Yeah, and it was good fun. And I know I told you that I was going to watch it last night. I actually waited and I watched it this morning when I got up because I wanted to have that morning monster movie feel you know and it was cool. it was perfect you can see watching that with a big bowl of cereal right oh yeah oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. perfect yeah. for that of course would have been perfect I, I don't think any of the are any of the bowery boys films in the public domain uh the bowery boys films no not that i know of uh spooks run wild is because i've hosted it and i'm pretty sure ghosts on the loose are and those, again those are east side kids films right i did spooks run wild i did that one okay but uh, I don't know about Ghosts on the Loose. As far as the Bowery Boys films, 
No. I And I checked this one out, and it is definitely not. Unfortunately, definitely not public domain. It would be a blast to see this hosted or to host it. It just oh, it's got so much fun. I would love it. Yeah, this is exactly the kind of film that I would love hosting. It's a good time. It's a good time, listeners. Uh, you, know, you got Lord Blood Raw and, and me. <laughs> <laughs> saying it's it's a definite thumbs up so check it out if you have it and if you have check it out again because it's just a blast yeah because there's always more monster craziness to see in it <laughs> especially people like us that are deep fans of this kind of thing we recognize that they are throwing everything in there so it almost i mean it it, it makes this film kind of more of a parody that every single horror convention is thrown in there yeah. And that in itself is funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you go to the, again, go to the internet movie database to read their synopsis, it has one creepy butler, two mad scientists, a crazy old woman with a man-eating plant, a savage gorilla, an eight-foot-tall robot, and a vampiress. Boom. Yep. I'm sold. That's the movie. <laughs> Honestly, you had me at two mad scientists, but still, the rest is great. There you go. There you go. That's the movie. And the poster is wonderful. Slip and Satch, the robot, the gorilla the weird kind of Mr. Hyde monster and the vampire. Yep. I'm in. <laughs> this poster is actually one of the posters, one of the pieces of art that last year's Monster Bash used because they had a Bowery Boys theme at the Monster Bash. So oh, I, I had gone in and kind of did my Photoshop thing to it to have it say the Bowery Boys meet the Monster Bash. And I'll probably do that again for Monster Kid Radio just because of what I do here. But the poster is fantastic. It's a great piece of artwork. I'd love to get my hands on a poster like this. Oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. Oh, yeah. For, I've never been to a Monster Bash I need to get out there one day. Oh, man. Need to. Yeah. I mean, like I say, San Francisco Bay Area, we have conventions. I mean, we have mostly comic book and pop culture conventions. But a friend of mine and I, Tom Wersch, who is the official archivist of Creature Features, of the Bob Wilkins Creature Features. Oh, wow. And I started a convention here, a classic horror convention called Creatures Con. And to our knowledge, it's in, in the Bay Area proper, it's the only classic horror convention. And we're small, we're, we're, we're on the smaller side. We've been doing it now for, this is our ninth year, and uh, our second year in a hotel. We were doing it in theater, so it was more of a theater show. But this is our second year in uh, the San Ramon Marriott, and it's really expanding. It's really expanding and taking off. And I think that we're filling a kind of classic horror and classic monster niche here in the Bay Area that no other convention is doing. I will make sure there's a link in the show notes for this as well. It's creaturescon.com. This year, Veronica Carlson is going to be a guest at the convention. We're thrilled to have her. And if you can't be at Monster Bash to see the world premiere of House of the Gorgon, it will be playing as a West Coast premiere at Creatures Con with Josh Kennedy in attendance. That's right. Yeah. I was thrilled when uh, Josh gave us the okay for that. And I've never met uh, Veronica Carlson. My partner Tom has. He's worked with her before. But I'm really looking forward to meeting her and doing the uh, Q&A panel with the movie and seeing the movie itself. That trailer is a blast. Um, I'm kind of biased, but I, I love the movie. Um, sure, sure. <laughs> I'd have to for having watched it like 30 times while doing the sound effects. So. Oh, I didn't know that. You did. You worked on the film. Uh, yes, I, I did um, uh, most of the sound effects and a good chunk of the sound editing. Oh, that's great. All right. Yeah, and I didn't get bored once while I was working on it. So I think that, cool. again, I'm biased, but you know, I dig it. And I think people are going to enjoy it as well. And Veronica Carlson is a sweetheart. I've heard. Uh, I, I can't wait for you to meet her, man. And she's she's just great. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. 
Yeah, that's going to be fun. Right on. Well, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to this as well. And of course, your website. Was there anything else about the movie before we start wrapping up that we want to make sure we hit on? Just, you know, look for this one. It's of all the uh, kind of creepy or horror monster related Bowery Boys films. I think this is easily the best one. The other ones are, are fun, but this one has everything in it and it can't miss because of that. And by the way, of the 48 Bowery Boys movies, mm-hmm. this was the highest grossing one. Oh. Yeah. This made the most money of all of the Bowery Boys movies. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, well, monsters equal money, I guess. So. Absolutely. Right. There you yeah. go. Yeah, especially when you mix it with comedy in just the right way. There's a, a, a delicate balance to be had, and I think this one rides it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, you know, the monsters, as opposed to Epic Syllamy Frankenstein, where the monsters are straight, the monsters are the joke here, too. <laughs> I mean, they're, the, the entire movie is one a series of jokes. And the monsters are all in on it. <laughs> yeah, that man-eating tree. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised. They, they could have uh, covered up a lot of the look of it by calling it a man-eating rubber plant. Because it looked like rubber anyway. Oh, man. That would have been perfect. Yeah. The man-eating rubber plant. Oh, okay. That, that, that solves the look of it. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right. Well, we've mentioned your website, and uh, is there anything in the near future we can let listeners to look out for from you? Season nine of my show, Lord Blood Raw's Nerve Racket Theater, premieres in mid-March. So, okay. uh, yeah, it's going to be all new episodes for a while, and they're going to be across the different uh, platforms and, and stations that I'm on. That's coming up mid-March. Creatures Con, as I mentioned, is coming up July 7th at the San Ramon Marriott. Again, West Coast premiere of House of the Gorgon with uh, Joshua Kennedy and Veronica Carlson. We're quite a different convention in that, like I said, we started out as a theater show. So a lot of our stuff is kind of uniquely theatrical. Tom Wersch and I will work on um, independent documentaries that we'll present at the convention and only at the convention. They're kind of digests of... Uh, other conventions. Last year, we did one on the 50th anniversary of Planet of the Apes and 50th anniversary of Night of the Living Dead. Uh, This year, I'm doing one on Plan 9 from Outer Space because it's the 50th anniversary and I'm approaching it from a kind of legends and legacies look. I'm going to talk about some of the legends that have cropped up around the movie, some true, some not, and the legacy of the film and how it affected... uh, Uh, low-budget filmmaking and other things like that. But being a theater show, we also do some other unique things like uh, the Monster Movie Quiz, which is essentially a monster trivia game show that was started actually by Bob Wilkins. He did a um, TV special called the Bob Wilkins Super Horror Show back in sometime in the 70s, I believe. And as part of that, he did the Monster Movie Quiz, which is... a that's exactly what you think it is. It's a cheesy game show set up, uh, and it's all about classic horror knowledge. I show a, an image on the screen or a clip or a sound clip and ask our panel of experts if they uh, know the answer, run up the totals of the score, and then they will pick names of uh, audience members, and the audience members win the prizes. Oh, okay. For the Yeah, so it, it's fun. But it's set up exactly like the cheesy game show, and it's a lot of fun. That's some of the best fun I have on stage all year, is doing the monster movie quiz. I wow. Just, I love it. It's great. And then we also, another uh, feature of uh, 
Creatures Con is the Mega Chiller Theater, which is one movie, and I recruit a whole bunch of horror hosts to contribute bits to it. So it's one movie hosted by an entire host of horror hosts. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then, let's see, in the past we've had uh, well, Mr. Lobo, Gordaval has come on. Our local uh, newest incarnation of Creature Features, uh, Vincent Bandal contributed a piece. We put uh, uh, vintage pieces of Bob Wilkins in there. We'll also put some vintage pieces of classic horror hosts, like last year we put a Zachary uh, bit in there as well. Oh, wow. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, if, if you love horror hosts, Mega Chiller Theater is uh, horror host overdose and usually with a rare film that is always a surprise we never announce what the film is before the convention you got to come and come and check it out well there you go creatures con sounds like something i need to add to my schedule at some point i don't think it's in the cards this year but now you got me putting that on my bucket list i I gotta get there someday you'd be more than welcome the doors are open for you come on down I appreciate you doing this. Listeners, I don't know if you know how long it's taken for me to <laughs> finally pull the trigger and get Lord Bloodraw on the show because he reached out to me a while back and then I started in. You know, it's, it's on me that it took so long, but thank you for coming, man. I really appreciate it. This has been a blast, and we'll have you back sooner rather than later. How about oh, that? I, I would love it, and thank you. You know, it was, it was act, not just your fault. Both of our schedules kind of got tangled up, and various various things were going on in our lives. So I'm glad to be here and thrilled to be on Monster Kid Radio. You are monster podcast royalty. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I you're you're the lord around here. I mean, come on. I, I don't know about that. I've been listening to you ever since the mail order zombie days. I mean Oh man. <laughs> you've been you've been out there doing it ever since and we all appreciate it. I mean, honestly, you put a lot of hard work into this podcast and we all appreciate it. It's great stuff. I, I don't know what else to say other than thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll probably end on that. Go out on the high note. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> LordBloodRaw.com, and he spells his name, well, Lord, L-O-R-D, B-L-O-O-D-R-A-H.com, or just follow the link in the show notes. Congratulations to him for 10 years of horror hosting. That's amazing. Check out the website to learn all about where you can see him, what he's got coming up, all of that. Check it out and let him know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. I am going to have him back on the show, and... uh, Lord Bloodraw, if you're listening, and, you know, we've got the listeners here as our witness, we're going to make it happen. And I promise we're not going to keep rescheduling it, and I'm not going to let it slip. We are going to have you back on the show here soon, so start thinking about a movie that you want to talk about. Thanks again, and listeners, Lord Bloodraw, he's awesome. Although, next time he's on the show, since he's a lord and all, I'm going to ask him to knight me. I'd love to be Sir Derek Kim Cook of Monster Kid Radio. Just... Something to think about. Anyway, you might have noticed that we did not play Kenny's Famous Monsters of Filmland segment yet. And that's because, well, I'll let him tell you. Take it away, Kenny. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today's film was never covered in Famous Monsters. Which surprises me because those Bowery Boys malapropisms are similar to the goofy puns used throughout FM. So today we will have a special edition with Famous Monsters and Me. We had our first Radiohead contribution from Doug, who had this Famous Monsters memory to share with us. My first exposure to Famous Monsters of Filmland was in the spring of 1971, when I was 8 years old. 
for approximately six months, I had been watching the Universal Classics on Chicago's WGN Channel 9's Creature Features. The first movie I remember seeing was Dracula. I was hooked from the start. The show started at 10.30pm and often ran a double feature. I rarely made it to the second feature. On a Sunday in April, my family stopped at the Super X drugstore in Ford City Mall, and I immediately went over to the aisle with comic books. As I rounded the corner, I saw a teenage boy looking at a magazine, and the page he had opened had a picture of Lon Chaney Jr. as the mummy. Whoa, what is that? I need that. I pretended to look at some magazines on the bottom rack so I could look up at the cover and find out what I was seeing. I will never forget that cover. Those great big letters spelling out M-O-N-S-T-E-R-S. The Mummy's Tomb was featured. I'm not sure I'd seen that one yet, but I loved the Mummy's Hand. I glanced at the rows and rows of magazines to find another copy of that issue. There wasn't one. I double-checked. Damn, he had the last copy. I knew exactly what to do. Just like Lugosi would, I willed that bastard to put the magazine back on the rack. He obeyed, and I picked it up, paid for it, and took it home. Thankfully, never to be the same. Doug's first FM was number 83 from April of 1971. The Mummy's Tomb cover Doug mentioned was painted by Basil Gogos. Along with the Mummy's Tomb film book, this issue featured When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth, Curse of Frankenstein, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, a look at all the actors who played Quasimodo, and the Karloff Lugosi classic, The Raven. It cost Doug all of 60 cents, and the first photo he saw was of Boris Karloff dressed like an evil Santa Claus coming out of the chimney. Thank you, Doug, for this famous monster's memory. Please don't be shy. Send us some more memories from how FM influenced and shaped your life. Don't forget, Monster Kids, we are looking for your famous monster's memories. Send a letter or a voicemail to Derek, and we will share them with all of the radio heads. second ago it was human now the most monstrous creation of all the return of the fly human beings are his guinea pigs as once again man challenges the supreme power of the universe then tries to hide from the world the monsters he has created what is the terrible secret of his father's death and how can he keep the world from knowing he is the son of the fly the world cries out in terror at the return of the fly. You will also see the terrifying tale of a wedding night that turned into a nightmare. She married one of the alligator people. See it happen before your eyes. See the thing that will make your skin crawl. Don't miss the alligator people and the return of the fly. In 1972, American TV networks canceled 12 TV shows for crimes they didn't commit. These shows were promptly forgotten by the public and faded into obscurity. Today, Chris Cooling researches these shows for a podcast. If there's a TV show that no one else remembers, and if you have earbuds, maybe you can listen to Forgotten TV. Coming, the world's craziest fun and fright show, The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monster. It's so scary, so crazy, we dare you to see it. 
we dare you to see the Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters, the screen's funniest and wildest teenagers in the craziest fun and fright show you've ever seen. Weird and frightening movie monsters, not only on the screen, but in the audience, alive and in person. See the horrifying mad mummy come to life and go into the audience to get you. We warn you, don't come if you're chicken. This show is not for sissies. If you're not afraid, be sure to see the world's craziest fun and fright show, The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters. A thousand and one laughs, thrills, and chills. In widescreen and Eastman color. So that'll be the one we use. <laughs> We could keep going. No, it's all right. All right. So we're just trying to sync up our audio because we're doing some feedback. I got Brenda in the house. What? what? Go, Brenda. It's your birthday. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not paying I for the rights for that song. No. <laughs> also, yeah. 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 So why haven't you been on the show the past few weeks, Slacker? Really? <laughs> really? Well, I'm just saying. The listeners want to know. You made me so sick. I know. I'm a terrible, terrible partner. I even did your show stuff for you. You really did. And uh, that was awesome. You made me sick. And, and people wrote in and said they appreciated it. Aww. But yeah, I made you I sick. I couldn't appreciate their appreciation because I was sick. I'm sorry. It's the kind of sick where you don't even feel guilty for missing work because you're just too out of it to care. The thing is, is that when I'm sick, you need to control yourself. <laughs> just, just, just throwing yourself at me while I'm sick. Of what? course you're going to catch something. From now on, I'm just going to spray you with Lysol. If you get too close, psh! <laughs> okay okay anyway hi hi hello everybody brenda is here to read some emails we got uh, two emails and then one facebook message oh. sitting there they've come in over the past few weeks and right. uh, if you're up for it why don't we go ahead and read the first one i actually have decided i'm not up for this okay i'll do it hold on <laughs> <laughs> hi Derek and brenda hey. hi oh right Ooh, on I oh, high five i didn't beat you to the punch <laughs> we're a team yo uh-huh that's why you get sick team when that i get gets sick Sick together, sticks together. I like that. <laughs> we should put that on t-shirts. No, because I just think of like sticky mucus. I have to go there. What's wrong with you? Because we were sick and That's there funny. was so much mucus. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I think I think I referred to it as lung butter. Oh, oh, that's right. Why would you do that to me again? Oh, because it's hilarious. Oh, it's like you make it makes me want to crawl inside of myself, like just collapse inwards, like a, <sighs> becoming a black hole of a person. <laughs> oh, okay. man. Okay. Night of the Demon has long been one of my top 10 favorite genre films. I envy you discovering it for the first time and hope you'll also find that it has amazing rewatch value. It does. So I loved episode 409. It's hard to say anything new about this wonderful movie, particularly as last year's incredible Blu-ray release from Indicator analyzes it in such loving detail. But I wonder how many listeners have seen or heard of an alternate adaptation of the source story, M.R. James's Casting of the Ruins? 
Casting of the Runes. I know that's the short story it's based on. Did I say it ruins like I think so. somebody that's, cast down an old building? That's why I said runes to kind of follow up to, oh, to maybe so- <laughs> I was trying to cover for you and then you just <laughs> highlighted that yeah. Well the minute you said it I was like <laughs> Rar <laughs> That was my I'd so now you don't have to edit in a bleep of my curse. Word. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Casting the Runes by MR James. In 1979, Britain's ITV channel broadcast a version which retained the original title and starred imposing Scottish actor Ian Cuthbertson as Carswell. I was very young when I saw it, and my memories are vague, but I remember this TV play being extremely creepy. It's apparently available on DVD, and a brief preview is on YouTube, so I hope to track it down one day. And for yet another take on the story, elements of Sam Raimi's 2009 film Drag Me to Hell might start to seem very familiar. Your interview with Reber Clark was also amazing. As someone who knows nothing about music, but I know what I like, as they say, I found listening to his process absolutely fascinating. And the piece you played from House of the Gorgon, wow. The influence of the two Bernards, Herman and James, was delicious, while Reber's composition still succeeded in being very much its own animal. Loved it. So take care, both of you, and in the meantime, I will continue to savor the image of Derek and a platoon of monster kids from all over the country heading to Monster Bash in the awesome MKR tour bus, the ultimate road trip. (laughs) Best wishes from the future, Al. So Alistair Hughes is the man behind the book Info Gothic. Which yes, was also on the Holiday Gift Guide last year, along with that Night of the Demon Blu-ray set. It's a mm. fantastic book. If you haven't picked it up, listeners, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so you can yeah. order your own copy from yeah. Amazon uh, if you're here in the States. If you're elsewhere, like in New Zealand, you can get it directly from the publisher, which is Talos Publishing. And I know that he is working on a follow-up. I'm not going to say anything <gasps> else other than I know really? it's in the works. And he's shared some artwork with me. Yay. And I'm all buzzy inside about it. Well, my. <laughs> so, first of all, I don't know if it stands out, but you've had to do a lot of editing of this already because I'm still in a place where little things still make me cough, and I am so sorry if it sounds weird. Honey, I'm sorry for making extra editing. Oh, it's okay, baby. Don't worry about it. Secondly, I remember your interview with Reber because you wouldn't stop talking about it. It went so well <laughs> that you were just jazzed all day. Did you purposely use to, uh, use a verb that's like a musical sounded verb to, you know, because you were jazz because he's totally, musician? Totally, totally. Okay. No, <laughs> no. Reber's awesome. I've been wanting to get him on the show proper for a while, and uh, the music's fantastic. Uh, I hope he doesn't mind, but I did clip that little bit of email from Al and send that directly to Reber just to kind of let him know he's got a fan down in New Zealand. Uh, so yeah, he's it's, an international star. There you go. There you go. I don't uh, know why I just sang that. Because we're talking about a musician, see? Sure. That was jazzy. I am sick enough still <laughs> for the little things. I don't know. So, M.R. James, casting the runes. Yes, not I, the ruins. <laughs> I may have seen that thing he's talking about because not this past Christmas, but the Christmas before I was invited out to somebody's house to watch uh, some British ghost stories. Mm-hmm. And that might have been in that collection because in the Great Britain, and I guess maybe even here too in the States, ghost stories were a big thing for Christmas Eve. 
And this was something that was broadcast around Christmas, packaged as like a Christmas collection of spooky stories. And I think that might have been in there, but I'm not 100% sure. I'll track it down. I'll figure it out. Um, I do want to see this version of 1979, though, if it's not it. Well, even if it is, I should watch it to, to double check. I have not read much M.R. James. I keep meaning to. I know he was a very, very important writer of the weird supernatural fiction, uh, ghost story literature, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Night of the Demon is fantastic. Brenda, I think you might like it. Oh. I, I, and I, I pick my battles when it comes to these types of movies. I so I think you would <laughs> like it. The, the, there are some ropey special effects, but some I mean, that's what? just... Ropey? Ropey. That, that, for whatever reason, that's been my adjective lately. It's to describe something that's a little... special effects. Yeah, ropey, meaning not that great. I don't know why. That's odd. I read it somewhere, heard it somewhere, and I've been using it lately. I just shrugged, which is perfect for an audio <laughs> podcast. Uh, anyway, the special effects are a little on the ropey side, um, but it's still solid. The performances are great, and the story is just spooky. Uh, thanks for writing in, man. Really yeah. appreciate it. Love hearing from you, and... Good luck with the next book, because, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Hi, Derek. Hey. Enjoyed your segment on Monster Movie Soundtracks with Reber Clark in episode 409. Excellent. It was a nice surprise to hear you mention Elizabeth Lutyens. Sure. Lutyens? I, we had, he goes on and talks about it. I investigated her music a few years ago because I was fascinated to discover a woman composer doing genre film soundtracks. As it turns out, Lutens was a very severe, combative, and uncompromising person who wrote, (laughs) often, uncompromising music using the 12-tone serial techniques. I mean, take a look at her photo, which is attached, and you can see that this is not someone who suffers fools. So this photo comes from Wikipedia, so if you just look her up on Wikipedia, you'll find that pic. That said, her work on many genre films, both Hammer and Amicus, is terrific. One of my favorite is her title music for Dr. Terror's House of Horrors with its creepy bass clarinet. Bass? Bass. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's all about that bass. As opposed to a fish. Yes. A fish clarinet. (laughs) Hey, she might have played that too. Who knows? (laughs) I knew it, but for some reason was questioning myself. Okay. With its creepy bass clarinet introduction. You just said bass clarinet. (gasps) Oh, gosh, my brain. It's okay. This is why people download the show. (laughs) What? To listen to me be an idiot? No, just because you're adorable. Not even be sure about how to say peace? You're a pretty idiot. It's okay. (gasps) Anyone say just attack me That's what you get. Sorry. She was sharpening those claws for something. Yeah, no kidding. Let's do this whole thing over. Okay. (laughs) One of my favorites is her title music for Dr. Terror's House of Horrors with its creepy bass clarinet introduction. Thankfully, lots of her music can be found on YouTube. Yep, most of it sounds abstract, but for some reason, I love that stuff. Though she did one film soundtrack as far back as 1948, she really didn't devote much time to film score composing until the 1960s when she needed to work to pay the bills. Anyways, Lutens was a colorful character. She was one of the daughters of famous British architect Sir Edwin Lutens, and during her childhood, the young philosopher Krishnamurti, Krishnamurti, <laughs> the young philosopher Krishnamurti, lived with the Lutens for a while. 
By the way, she and a few other composers are highlighted in Hammer Film Scores and the Musical Avant-Garde by David Huckvale, an interesting look at modern composers who wrote music for Hammer Films. I think that book's actually on the bookshelf over there. I think I've got that. Well, why don't you look her up? Well, I mean, they don't go... T- I mean, okay. <laughs> I just want to see a picture of her because she does not suffer fools. Well, it's on Wikipedia. Not even lightly. True. Probably wouldn't suffer you calling it a bass clarinet. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. My brain is slightly disconnected. Keep up the fabulous work. Love the diverse segments in each MKR episode. Wishing you all the best, Kurt. P.S. The most common pronunciation of Elizabeth's name is Lutchins, with an accent on the first syllable and the Y pronounced like a C-H, from a couple of BBC documentaries. I did encounter one British radio show where the name was pronounced Lottiens, but I'm going to trust the BBC pronunciations. So the pronunciation was here this whole time, and you didn't let me... I told you it was in there. You said he'll talk about it later. I didn't realize he'd give a whole guide to it. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> so, Lutchens. I'll take that. Sure. Lutchens. Sure. What was I saying? Uh, you said Lutyens, Lutyens. I mispronounced Lut- it horribly in Lutchens. the last episode. It was all over the place. She did the skull, and that's the music that I referenced last week. Unfortunately, Reber tracked it down, and he didn't really like it as much as I did, but... You know, uh, music is often, you know... Very a, personal. Exactly. Yes. Uh, I'm glad that Kurt digs it, and there is some of it available on YouTube. And I had forgotten, when I was talking about her work on The Skull, that she had done Dr. Tara's House of Horrors, which is just some amazing title music. It really is awesome. Mm-hmm. So I will make sure there's a link in the show notes to pick up your copy of the book you mentioned. Mm-hmm. What was the title again? Do you still have it there? Um, Hammer Film Scores and the Musical Avant-Garde okay. by David Huckvale. Okay, so I'll make sure that's up, and then I'll also include a link to the Elizabeth Lutyens CD that I mentioned last the week one? as well. Hmm? Oh, the Elizabeth Lutyens CD that you hmm. mentioned. Okay. Yep. Thanks for writing in, Kurt. All right, final message. Love the show. It's great to have a show to listen to that covers all my favorite stuff from when I was a kid. Just wanted to thank you guys for helping me remember Unico, the Island of Magic. That anime had been haunting my memories for years, and I could never remember the title. I bought the Blu-ray right after listening to your show and enjoyed watching it with my six-year-old daughter. Yay! Love you guys. Keep up the good work. Rafi R. Yeah, it was from Facebook. That was a Facebook message. Yes. Uh, when I got that message from him, I told him I had no idea it was on blue. No idea it was but ever issued on blue. Is that how you knew? Yes. And, and you got it? I, exactly. I immediately went looking for it. It's out of print here in the States, but I did find a used copy. So now we have Unico oh. on Blu-ray. Thanks it's, to Ralphie pointing, it in my, pointing me in the right direction. That's that amazing. And um, there are a couple of scenes from Unico, like when... Well, we mentioned the Wolfers and the Tweeters before. Right. He opens up his boxy earphones mm-hmm. and there's a bird and a and a frog. <laughs> this is Woofer and his Tweeter. Uh, but also when all of the people have been turned into stone and they're all marching to a song. And That's I forget creepy. what it is, but it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And she know and sorry, Unico knows uh, which one is the one. Is Unico a she or a he? I was just about to ask you that. I don't know. I don't remember. But Unico knows which one is the person they care it cares about because mm-hmm. uh, there's a flower mm-hmm. sticking out of it. Mm-hmm. 
because the person had been wearing a flower, maybe? I guess we're just going to have to watch it. And when they march, it wiggles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to give it a watch. Yeah. I'm curious as to what the Blu-ray quality is. Mm. Blu-ray quality. Is it something that played all over the U.S. or just in Alaska for some reason? So I saw it growing up in uh, when I was younger. And I think the first time I saw it would have been when we lived in Tacoma, Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Air Force Base there. There was a lot of... When I, when I started thinking about this, uh, there was a lot of Japanese animation uh, that showed there. And it wasn't like manga like you see today, but it was a lot of mech, you know, giant mechs, giant robots uh-huh. doing stuff. The only one I remember is one called Crimson Dynamo. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was another one that had like wrist cutters on it. And whenever it would like use one of its powers or, or weapons, it would say its thing. Wrist cutters, you know, whatever. <laughs> This was before I discovered Voltron, um, and I wish I could remember some of these. I remember Mom and Dad, but Mom and Dad were like, this is too violent, you shouldn't be watching it. But I would still watch it anyway. And it was on during the day, typically on either Cinemax or HBO. Maybe we had Showtime. We had one of those. Oh. And HBO, we actually just called Home Box Office. We didn't call it HBO then for whatever reason. Hmm. Um, I guess what I'm going with this is that Washington is probably the closest state to Alaska. Mm. So if it was regional, I got it too. Well, obviously he knew about it. Rafi knew about it too, right? So maybe it's regional. Yeah. Maybe Rafi lived on the West Coast. Maybe they only played it on the coast. They might have only played it on the coast. It might (laughs) have been, you know, Alaska. Is there a lot of military stuff up there? It might have been something that was brought in with. Um, you know, military there because Tacoma is where my dad was stationed. So, mm-hmm. um, McCord Air Force Base. So. Not really in Juneau, but there, you know, our bases were, were very close to Russia, if you didn't know. Yeah, I, I hear you can see it from like the governor's <laughs> backyard, former governor's backyard. Yes. <laughs> but there are, yes. Anyway, thanks for calling or writing that in. That was yeah. pretty cool. Yes. Uh, really appreciate that. Uh, and I wanted to make sure you got that because of the Unico thing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yay. Uh, I want to go back to something that Alistair mentioned, the oh. Monster Kid Radio tour bus. Right. So that came up because I was talking on Facebook about how here in the very near future, I'll be putting some things on eBay to help pay oh, for the trip. right. Yeah. The, the Monster Bash trip is coming up. When is it? Mid-June. So, and I haven't bought airfare yet. Uh, the hotel room is secured, but the airfare has not been purchased yet. I wonder if the prices just went way up because of the 737 situation. I worry about that. Yeah. But watch me on Facebook or look me up on eBay. I think my name's just Brother D 73 there on eBay. I'll be posting some things here in the very near future to help support that trip because I'm still unemployed and have not gotten much work doing audio editing. So going to need some funds, man. But I'll tell you, if we make like, tons of money then yeah i'll rent us a tour bus just saying and i'll swing by and i'll pick people up along the way how far are you going to pittsburgh so it's got to be a lot of money yeah that's got to be a lot of money other people with do you need a cdl driver's license well we'll have to pay for a driver i'm not driving i want to hang out in the back and party <laughs> and by party i mean watch monster movies <laughs> yeah you know this is a pipe dream right Yes, I do. Not not the not going, I mean, going to Monster Bash is a reality. Yes. The pipe dream is the tour bus. But that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Tell you what, any artists out there, and Alistair is one of them, I would love to see what you think the Monster Kid Radio tour bus would look like. 
You know, mm-hmm. make me up like a demo drawing or like a concept drawing of what the tour bus would look like. I think he it'd be demands. Fun. What's that? He demands. Well, I think, Do it. It'd, I think it'd be fun. He's, and poor Alistair, you specifically called him out. Well, he's an artist and that's what gave me the idea. Mm-hmm. He's an artist. He so now it. he's obligated. No, he is not obligated. Nobody is <laughs> obligated. But I would love to see what you think the tour bus would look like. And I'll post them on the website. Okay. I don't mention this anywhere else, so let's mention it here. We have a voicemail line. What is it, Brenda? 503-479-5MKR, which that is 503-479-5657. And our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. If you have any feedback you want to share about the show, uh, this episode, or any of the previous 409 episodes, or just want to give us a shout out, or tell Brenda that she's doing a great job, We'd love to hear from you. You know what I have to tell me? I'm doing a great job or not. <laughs> I sort of blew it this time. No, you're not. Is the Rondo Awards still going on? Yeah, and I do mention that later. Oh. But the Rondos are coming. Who should they vote for, hon? Whoever their heart desires. And they don't have to fill out every category. It can be a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So just pick the ones that you care about. That's why I made that little video. Just follow the little video and... Oh. Follow the advice in the video. But I they sim- should vote for Kyle Yount for Hall of Fame. That's what oh, we're that's going for. That's right, the big one. Because he's retiring. The Kaiju cast. Yes. Mm-hmm. But also, I know that information just from listening to you say it over and over and over again. <laughs> and over. House of Horrors. Horrors the screen has never before dared to depict. The terrifying horror of man killing vine with a human brain that creeps and kills. The terrifying horror of the dead, entombed for 200 years, that creeps its way back to terrorize the living. The terrifying horror of a dreaded man called Dr. Terror, who, with his deck of mystic cards, could foretell destiny. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. This may be what we've been listening for for the past four years. At last, contact with another planet, but it's really contact with Nightmare. From out of this world, from out of the vast, frightening unknown, come the Terranauts. Something came out of the sky. Picked the building up bodily and, and tore it out of the ground. One moment on solid from your Earth, the next kidnapped into an, an enemy world. will be destroyed or driven into caves like savages unless we can do unless we stop this enemy first we must wait till we're within range you'll thrill to the most fantastic intergalactic battle ever 
A warring asteroid challenged by a handful of humans a million miles out in space, determined to save the Earth from the Terranauts. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody who was involved this week. So that's Jeff, Lord Bloodrock, Kenny, my wife Brenda, Wednesday, who is patiently just watching me to finish recording so I can make her dinner. Just everybody involved. Couldn't do the show without you guys and gals. And you guys and gals, the listeners, you're the best part of the show. So thank you for listening to me ramble on about monster movies this week. There's something to be said about this tribe, this community that we've built up. And I just want to thank everybody from the bottom of my monster love and heart. I appreciate all of your support over the years. And recently a special shout out real quick to Micah Harris, who I swear, man, we got to get you back on the show very soon. The man without a body is just waiting for us to cover. Anyway, Micah gave me some uh, personal advice regarding some writing issues that I've been having lately. And I just want to give him a special shout out. Uh, that happened this past week, as well as a big shout out to Chris and Dominique. They're part of my writing mastermind group. And well, they're very motivational and inspirational as well. And really, I don't think I would have considered so many of you friends if it wasn't for the show and you interact with me as much as I try to interact with you. So you know what? I know I'm getting sappy. Let's go ahead and move on. Just big thanks. Anyway, uh, something that you can do to help support the show is, well, just tell people about it. We want to get more listeners. We want to expand this amazing community that we have here. This tribe must grow. I want more listeners. I want to share the word of these classic monster movies with people. So to do that, all you got to do, well, obviously let people know about the website, monsterkidradio.net. But the biggest thing is just retweet the tweets and share the posts on Facebook. If you ever see somebody posting online that they're looking for a podcast to check out, well, you know where to send them, right? Also, big thanks to everybody who has cast a vote in this year's Rondo Awards. Monster Kid Radio is once again up for the best multimedia category. Of course, I'd appreciate your support there. Uh, everybody on the ballot is so deserving of the recognition that the Rondos brings. I highly recommend you head over to RondoAward.com to check it out. In last week's episode, I kind of went off about the Rondo Awards, but I am going to just say again, if you haven't voted yet, please consider submitting the name Kyle Yount, that's Y-O-U-N-T, for Monster Kid Hall of Fame. He is the man behind the Kaiju cast, and, well, he's just flat out the man. Anyway, support the Rondo Awards and the Classic Horror Film Board. What they do is pretty darn important. What's coming up next week here on the show? You know, I've been really banging away at getting recordings under my virtual podcasting belt here so I have enough content to share with you guys and gals on the weeks that, well, if I get sick again, that sort of thing. And one of the recordings that I just did that I'm very excited about was the recording I did with comic book creator Tad Galusha. Tad's been on the show before, but it's been a while. And well, this time around, he comes riding a dinosaur or two when we talk about the movie Dinosaurus. In an unsuspecting world, living creatures from the dawn of time, what havoc will they wreak? What lives will they destroy? What depths of panic and terror will they create? Dinosaurus, the most amazing, astounding, astonishing adventure of them all, beyond anything your mind can imagine, never before seen on the screen.
Tad's got a new book coming out. I uh, believe it's going to be available up at Emerald City Comic Con this weekend. Wish I could be there. I'm not going to be there. But if you go to the Oni Press table, you can pick up his new book, Cretaceous. What's Cretaceous? Well, pick it up. Trust me, Monster Kid Radio approves. But if you need a little bit more encouragement, come back next week because Tad and I are going to talk about that in addition to the film. We're also going to play something that I recorded with Steve Turek about an event that we're doing this month. So that's coming up too. Stay tuned for that. There's actually a possibility that I'm going to release that as a separate thing earlier in the week on the feed. So stay tuned. As long as you're subscribed to Monster Kid Radio, you're going to get that. But that's coming. So don't freak out if you get something on a Monday or Tuesday or whenever I put it out. I really feel like 2019 is going to be a huge year for us here at MKR. And just, I can't wait to see what happens. Okay. Anyway, let's go ahead and wrap up. I want to let you know that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Spookarama. That belongs to Jared K. Wood. You can find him at jaredkwood.bandcamp.com. He spells his first name J-E-R-E-D, and then K. Wood is C-A-Y-W-O-O-D. .bandcamp.com and pick up the Monster Beach Surf Party album. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.